let's let's welcome everybody actor scott hayes he's he's in london right now thank you for st- stepping in and talking with us we really appreciate it and uh how no. about you just give a little bit of background to you know our fans about who you are and everything you've done i mean <clears throat> me i i yeah what have i done i've i've you know i a lot of this stuff i do as an actor i kind of hide behind um mm-hmm. so like i was just with with pratt uh chris pratt and we were talking he there's a movie called thank you for your service that that he knew about back in that i did with miles teller and i i was talking to him about the film and he i had to like reintroduce myself and tell him the character i played in that movie because he didn't recognize me so a lot of what i've i've done is has been that kind of work um you know some movies that obviously i y'all might have seen venom mm-hmm. uh, with Definitely. me and tom hardy and then we have a I did a movie called Antlers with Guillermo del Toro producing and Scott Cooper directing. And, and right now I'm here shooting Jurassic World Dominion in London. That's and we're, we're, we're in our own bubble. Yeah, I could tell. I was like, you're in a hotel room. I'm in a hotel room. We're kind of doing yeah. the same thing. Everybody's kind of stuck in one place right now. So, so tell me about that. So how is it filming also during the midst of like this pandemic? I mean, it's, it's interesting. It's because I – some films – hadn't gone yet and those films are not back up. We were shooting, we, we had a, we started Jurassic, I think it was February and we were in Canada. And I remember when I was going up for that shoot, I was buying a bunch of hand sanitizer. I heard about yeah. this coronavirus and I show up to set and there's this big, you know, I have to be careful what I can say about Jurassic, no, but I'll sure. give you as yeah, much yeah. as I can. Um, yeah, there was a, the, the stunt guy, this, this amazing stunt guy, said, I've fallen off a huge cliffs and bridges. You think I'm worried about some virus? Nothing's going to happen. Oh, no. <laughs> and I was the guy on set who was like passing out hand sanitizer to people. And then, and then they shut us down a week later. It was just it was all over. Wow. Yeah. yeah, yeah same kinda... you. Where, where were you, Terrence, when it happened? Luckily for me, I had just got back from a road trip. So the night before... Uh, yeah, the night before that um, that Utah Jazz game happened and that Oklahoma City game happened where they kind of sh- like shut everything down right before the tip-off, we had just got home the night before. So I was we had an off day. I was at home. I was watching the game. And then I'm just like, okay, I'm, I'm hearing like – and it's weird because I'm, I'm keeping up with like CNN. I'm keeping up with like the news because this is like when like the whole widespread panic is starting to happen. I felt like once sports shut down. But once they closed that game down, I was at home. And I just remember like, okay, what does that mean? And then 10 minutes later – oh, the league is suspended. So, like, I was just, like, um, like, I had no idea. And then I'm reaching out to people on the team, you know, the front office. They have no idea what's going on. So, once everything starts shutting down, I think it was just a weird time. And I had no idea how to move. So, luckily, I was at home because I know the guys at the, uh, at the game, after they had to leave the court, they were stuck in the locker room till about, like, that's right. That's like right. four or five a.m. the next day, so they couldn't even leave. And I remember they were just—I was talking to a few of the guys, Facetime, just looking at the locker room, and they were just all sitting around, just like that. Some hey, what would they get? They got they got bottles. Yeah, somebody, of, like, Chris yeah, Paul I, sent them bottles. Yeah, I think of Chris wine. Paul sent them like <laughs> four, like a, two, three cases of wine, and they're just like, man, we just want to get home. I remember guys were like, man, they all had to get tested. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had to wait for the results, and the next you know, they're talking about, yo, we're trying to get private flights out of here. We can't even go back to the hotel. Like nobody wants to come around us. So. It was this whole thing, and I know after that happened, I know that, like, the league was probably just, like, running through chaos. And, yeah. I mean, even to be here today in the, in the bubble is, is amazing. So, um, 
it's been a yeah. weird time. I can't even imagine how this has affected, you know, other aspects of life. Well, I mean, yeah, it is. It's, that's the thing is like every day I pinch myself, I, I know how lucky and grateful I am to be working when a lot of people are not working in my industry. Yeah. Most things have not come back and they, and it, you know, the, this, this film, they've gone above and beyond in terms of how they're keeping us safe. Mm -hmm. it, it's, if there were any fears, they've been squashed just by how the, the, the team and, and the producers and the studio have just really gone above and beyond to make sure we all feel super safe from testing all the way to safety mm -hmm. precautions, to keeping us isolated, to new things you have to do on set right before you start filming. Um, you know, I think that, I think it's, it was a, it was a challenge for the film, you know, for, for the whole filmmaking team on how we were going to accomplish such a massive film in the midst of this pandemic, but they've seemed to find out how to do it perfectly. Yeah, man, this, I can't imagine what it, what it takes to just even plan, just even a normal film day, but yeah. having all this on top of it and to, to get everything done, I know, I know it's an adjustment for everybody. I know you guys are probably just like, this is probably tough, but I mean, hey, just like you said, the studio's going up and beyond to make sure you guys are all safe, and that's the biggest thing. So, I mean, you were in a, you're in an interesting position because you know the All Star break happened, and what, how many games were after the All Star break for for lockdown? Uh, so we had, I want to say around twenty twenty five plus games, and we probably played like six, seven games, and then right before that, um, it, it sucked because we were playing so well. And it was like yeah, you you were like, you were on fire during that time. Yeah, man, we were we were we were balling, and um, we were picking up momentum, and then all of a sudden, dead stop. And it was I, like I, I was I was pissed off too because I literally just got out to Orlando right when all yeah. this pandemic happened. Yeah, I was, I was yeah, going, that's right. I was that's going right. out there to watch Zion. I was like, oh, Zion's yeah. coming to Orlando. We we're going to play a bunch days. of teams. We're going to play like six games in a row, and then we get there, and I'm like panicking to get home. I'm like, literally, like, get he the came out, to get the, he, get he the from, from, Yeah, he flew from Washington all the way to Florida. He gets there. I pick him up from the airport, and what, we spent maybe – I mean, not even like, 24 hours. And then we're just, and you were home alone. I, no one I was, was there. Home alone, just yeah, me, just yeah. me and you. And we're just watching the news like, oh gosh, we got to get a I flight. I got to like, get yeah, out here. Watching the news made it definitely worse. Worse. Like, yeah. I, I was, I was, I started getting scared. And I was like, bro, are they like, are they shutting down airports? And next thing you know, they're like, yeah, you got to get home yeah. in the next 48. And I was just like, oh man. So, it so how long are you actually out there in, um, in London for? I'm going to be out here through October. And I've been here for two months, almost two months now. Yeah, and you can't leave the hotel. You can't leave the hotel either. It's the same. It's the no, same situation. no, no. We can't. We can't leave the hotel at all. Um, but we this ho we happen to be in a really, you know, it, it's a comfortable hotel. I don't know yeah. what, what. I've seen some of the rooms you guys are in. I don't know, you know, what part of Disney they have you in. This is, you know, this is a really nice place. So I'm not complaining at all. Okay, yeah. good. So as long as they got, you, as long as you're comfortable, you can do some things. Because I know for us, they have it. They try to make it as, as comfortable as for us as they possibly can. So they have like fishing and boat tours and swimming. Yeah, we have that too. We have. I I actually bought a basketball hoop because they don't. Hey, yeah, rounds and me. A lot of my friends in the film were all going to start playing, but they have a, yeah. they have a tennis court, outdoor pool. You know, oh, yeah. a, a gym so we can stay in shape, everything. Oh, you guys might have more than us, actually. You Because we don't, nice. I mean, well, we have a golf course, but, like, it's so packed that you can hardly ever get out there. So many people that want to play. But oh, I, I was definitely asking about a tennis course. Cause is, just, it, is, it true, is it true that you guys can go into Disney World and go on the ride? <sighs> 
I heard that. Oh, man. oh, that's what I thought too. That's and they actually told us that when we were coming here, like before we got here to the bubble, they're like, "Yo, you guys can go to you know Disney. We're gonna make sure that you guys can do certain things." But since we got here, nobody said anything about like going to Disney. I remember the guy that got his Postmates just like outside, like a few steps outside the bubble, <laughs> and now he's quarantined. So I don't think that they're letting us. They're going no, I, but they I, have. I, Lou Williams, he he wouldn't he went somewhere, right? So Lou, so Lou was uh, so from what I heard was, <laughs> what I heard was Lou decided to he he had some family business that he had to tend to in Atlanta, which isn't right. too far from here. It's probably you know a, a hour and a half flight. Um, he went out there, he handles it. Apparently, he went to get something to eat, and he stops at what Magic City. They got but, the wings, they got the good wings. They say, but that's the thing though. So I I've never been to Magic City, but I have heard that. The food there is amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. I even heard that people, even like when we go to the cities, like Postmates, their food because it's so good. Yeah. So apparently his his excuse is, oh, yeah, we're just going to go get you know some food and stop by. But yeah, yeah. it's but a strip now. joint. Like, it's a strip joint. Like, it's yeah. the worst place to be in, in the midst of a, you know, a pandemic. But I mean, but it, I don't know, man. That's who knows. Man. I, he he's, he's back in playing. So yeah, yeah. So what happened? The guy, this other, who was it that went outside and got Postmates? He just got some food delivered uh, and in quarantine again. Was, was it? The yeah, from the D- Detroit. Oh no, 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 no! Christian it was actually Woods, Rashawn no. Holmes. Last, yeah, Rashawn last Holmes. night. Yeah, yeah, we played him last night. Yep. Yeah, crazy. Um, no, yeah. And he stepped over the line. That's all he did. He, he just stepped, stepped over the line to get his Postmates. Someone snitched on him. But it's weird. Or? No, it's, it's weird because I think Kelly Oubre had tweeted something like, yeah, we can we could get, you know, deliveries or whatever. And then this dude, not even on the same team, I don't even know if he knows Kelly, but yeah. he's like, yeah, okay, sure. That's all the confirmation I need. And then just leaves the bubble for a few seconds. And he oh, got yeah. If, and you say, they, if you say anybody has a fever that you know or anything happens like oh. that, they'll, they'll take you on this set. They'll, they'll comp- remove you, oh. put you in another room. For sure. Um, the telephone's ringing. No, no, it's all good. But no, that, even with us, we we have, every morning we have to t- we have to do a questionnaire. We have to do we have these uh, we have an app on our phone that connects to a Bluetooth or Bluetooth thermometer and like a the thing that kind of measures how much oxygen your body is taking. Right? We have to do that every single morning, or we can't like leave our room. Like we have these little magic wristbands yeah. that we have to we like tap everywhere. Too. Yes, you have to kind of do the same thing. You have to tap everywhere you go, and if you don't, if you didn't fill that questionnaire out that morning, or you didn't, you know, do something you're supposed to then it turns a different color then they take you and you got doing this whole thing and then you get quarantined and it, it sucks. So it's like, you literally have to be on top of everything and I'm getting used to it, but it's still like, I'm going through that adjustment period where things are getting kind of, you know, repetitive, but either way, it's, yeah, yeah, I understand yeah. it. What about you? So yesterday you, you, you know, I, I, not, I looked you up a little bit on yeah. how you played yesterday. You did great yesterday, huh? Lit, lit him yeah. up. You lit him up. Yeah. Uh, so what's going on? You, you got rejuvenized after the break, and now you're back on, hey, on hostel? So the biggest thing was just, man, with, like right after All-Star, like people, t- people, if you're not at the All-Star games or you're not you know, t- partaking in any of the activities, people take vacations. So people get that week and a half vacation just to get mm-hmm. out the field, just to relax, go wherever. So that was good, but I mean, sometimes like it's just you feel like it's not enough. And here we go. We get three whole months to kind of just take off or not really relax. We got to work out halfway through that. But um, I I feel like for everybody right now, we all feel good. Everybody feels good. Um, I think the biggest thing is just trying to get the rhythm back. But for the most part, I mean, I, I feel good. I feel like I'm rested. I don't feel sore. 
I feel great. Where did you, where did you quarantine? What, where were you? Right here in Orlando. Literally, so I'm, I'm in, I'm in, we're on Disney Springs. I literally, I literally live 10, 15 minutes away from here. So, I mean, this is all pretty much my, my neighborhood. So uh, I've been here the whole time. I've been here since, since March, have not left town since March. And I feel like this is the longest I've ever been anywhere for this long. <laughs> and it's wild. Like I haven't traveled anywhere, like not even to like the next town over. I've literally gone to the gym in here. And yeah, that's no. been my life for the last four or five months. Yeah, it is. It's it's wild, right? See, for me, I I have to have a certain thing, um, aesthetic for the film. And yeah. I think it was right about a month into quarantine. I got some bad information. I heard that, oh, we're probably not going to go back to Jurassic until 2021. And so then for like two and a half weeks, I was like, you know what? I'm going to eat some donuts. I'm going to yeah, eat some you got, Yeah, you got, you got to have it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Cheat days, man. I feel you. Just for, just for a second, let it go. But it was you. enough to put on enough weight to where when I heard we're coming back, it, you know, so quickly, it was all, it was mad dash to get back. And shape and, and oh, ready. I feel you. So that's another thing we were looking yeah. up. We we also saw you had a crazy, crazy weight transformation. Yeah, yeah. In, in two movies, right? Yeah. Was it was it Antlers and in Child of God? Both of them? Yeah, both of them. That's 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 the you know the reason why it's it's funny. I I I taught this film's seminar, I guess you would. I I own a theater in L.A. called the Sherry Theater, mm-hmm. and I built it and named it after my mom. And it's it's kind of like my own gym. And I gave them this book, all my students that came in, I said, if you want to get into this, this business and be taken serious as an actor, you sh- this, is, this is the first book I want you to read on acting. And it was written, it's a book called Relentless, written by Tim Grover. And oh, yeah, definitely. So uh, Tim, Tim trained uh, Jordan, he went on to do Wade and Kobe, and, and I had my students read that. And... I've just been really my my hero and the guy I always looked up to wasn't an actor. It wasn't a it wasn't a musician. It wasn't you know. My first year when I moved to LA was the year that they won their first ring. Kobe won his first ring. Mm, so in two thousand. Yeah, right there. Yeah. I was, I was yeah, a teenager. I was there. I come to LA and there's this guy named Kobe and I, I just completely fell in love with him. And then when he was going through that thing. Um, that hard time it was I felt like I was going through a a similar time and I saw how he used that to really better himself and then the Mamba mentality came to be so to transition to the weight loss and and whether it was Child of God or the biggest weight loss was for Antlers the movie that movie was scheduled to be out right now but we just did Comic-Con and they announced Scott Cooper and Guillermo just did a great speak at the Comic-Con, if you go to their website or find it on YouTube. But that movie comes out in February. And I got a call that, to do that. And that was right at the period of my life when I was the heaviest. Yeah. That was, there was about a six-month window when I just let myself go like I never have. And I, I, that'll never happen again because the role that I had to do required a tremendous amount of weight loss. And I had to, you know... It, it was a journey, you know, I've, I had to figure out how to lose that much weight because I ended up, I was at 220 and when I shot the film, I was at 138. Holy shit. And- <laughs> That's crazy. That, I, that, that probably takes a physical and mental toll on you because that just, because I know when you get hungry, probably like you want to eat. And so to try yeah. to suppress that and try to move past, that's probably, yeah, that's probably. Well, probably it's interesting. There's with. this guy, I, you know, I, my, one of my friends, he did, 
he was in the um he was in like Deadpool and Avengers and he 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 was like I was doing trying to do it on my own so I was eating just a cliff bar a day <laughs> and and I wasn't losing any weight and he said he said you know you need to you need to go see my guy so I went to this guy um and he started to train me about my diet that I, if we have fat on our body, we don't need to eat. We just need potassium, magnesium, and salt. So I would Uber 15 miles away to a random location and walk home. And then I would do that twice a day. Wow. And all I would eat was one piece of fish a day. And I would supplement. Every time I got hungry, I'd take a, an electrolyte cap, which was salt, potassium. And then I'd take a bunch of magnesium at night just to keep my heart healthy. Yeah. And it, it was, I was ch- test, testing my blood for how many ketones were in my blood. And I was, I was anywhere between 6.0 and 7.0 of ketones just constantly ripping fat off of me. So I completely, it, it, without that knowledge, and, and if I didn't meet no that no trainer, way. I would never have been able to do it. But it's changed, it's changed my whole diet. I realized so much yeah. about what we eat and how we can really stay in shape with, with our diet. And that, that's almost just as yeah. important as working out. No, absolutely. Especially when you learn the knowledge and then, cause it's not something that you can just kind of like, Oh, that's, that's something nice to know. But it's like, once you learn this, it's probably, it probably changes kind of who you are and it probably incorporates itself with probably, you know, your routine daily and, and all that different type of stuff. Cause man, I, I know for me, it's, it's hard to, to, to gain, to gain weight and it's kind of it's sometimes it's hard to lose it but um i i know that just for me like i'm blessed i'm you know i have a low metabolism so i it might fluctuate you whatever but like yeah i could do whatever but man i i can see sometimes especially when i see actors like you know like gaining all this weight and then you see them in a different role and they just lose all this weight and to do that like i don't think people realize the stress and the toll it takes on you because from eating a to, to walk 15 miles after you just eat a little bit like a cliff bar a day yeah yeah your brain your brain's probably you, you just had like, to be tired of cliff bars cliff, cliff bar didn't work i only did cliff bar for yeah. two weeks and i no weight was coming off that's yeah. when i went to one wow. piece of steaming and if my brain was really foggy i'd have a quarter of an avocado just to get some fats in from my just brain get, yeah you know well, and, and how long did you do that for i did that for between four and a half to five months every day i also four, that's a long time that's, that's, a long, long that's a long time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's, I'm not it's, but you got to realize for, for a guy like me who my favorite thing is, is sports. When I was a yeah. kid, I, I grew up wanting to be like Mike. Michael Jordan was my hero. Of course, and of and I, I, was, I played basketball in high school, but there was a point when it was clear, I'm never going to make it to where you're at. So yeah. I had to shift. So for, for me, it's kind of, I feel so grateful to, like, to God about how it's worked out for me that I get to play these roles that incorporate like the closest thing I can get to being a professional yeah. athlete. Oh, for oh, sure. For sure. It, it, if not even better, because what we do is physical and, and a lot of it's mental, but like, I don't think people also understand acting is, it's not something, it's almost like, okay, if you, could, if you can dunk, you can dunk. If you can shoot threes, you can shoot threes. Acting is not something you can necessarily just learn and become great at. Like, you have to have that natural ability as well as the worth ethic and as well as the mentality of, like, becoming better and taking steps to get there because, I, like, we, I, we watched, I watched the movie last night. Um, what, what was it? Uh, Child of God. That was yes, yes. Like, I watched it oh last night. God. I watched watching it last night too. I wanted to movie, ask you like, about that. I was like watching that movie and then like this, t- and then hearing you talk. Now I'm just like, God, like to, that did is you, hey, that's did you, so did you, hard. Did you guys finish the movie or did you start the movie? 
I Be started honest. it. I couldn't. I started. I, 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 I finished it. I, I finished like, it. I finished it. Hey, I was like, I was like, Steve, bro, you got to go on without me, man. This is this is intense. It was, it was intense, intense for sure. I, I, I was. I was just that level of acting right there. It gets me, man. How, me. That how, was, how, how know, is that? that how film, is that? that but you're basically by yourself, film, right? Yeah, that film was was a moment when I don't know. You know, the, the difference between if you know you're the best on the court. Mm-hmm. or you're the best on your team and you consistently show up, whether, you know, whatever league you're, you're coming up in, whether it's college or, you know, whatever, you're in the D, whatever it is, if you're the best, you know that there's a good shot that you're going to continue to go forward. If yeah. you're scoring 30 points For a sure. game, 10 assists. Mm-hmm. So you need, we all need a moment of some sort for somebody to believe in us. And that was yeah. a moment for me when somebody believed in me enough to give me an opportunity that I just didn't want to pass. So... And I never, I, I didn't know anything about what it was like in the 1950s or Sevierville, Tennessee. And that one happened to be a crazy thing where I figured out where Cormac McCarthy, who wrote the novel, Child of God, set the book. And the book was set in Sevierville, Tennessee. So I had one friend in Tennessee who went to a boarding school I went to. And I hit him up and I ended up going out to, to, to stay with him. And he told me he's the town historian. So he got to show wow. me everything. And because that was, I, I took that seriously. I went out to Tennessee six months before the filming started and I stayed there until I, I arrived on set. And I just wanted to immerse myself in it because I figured that, you know, I, I felt very fortunate to have landed that role, yeah. that I didn't want that moment to pass. And, and the one thing I wanted to do was make sure I could get, I gave it every second of every day not to squander the blessing of the opportunity. Yeah. Yeah, that, and that, and that, and that, that's the mentality that I've kind of continued forth with everything that I'm just going to do everything I can to make sure that I don't look back and say, Oh, you know, if I would have done this, it might've been better, you know? Yeah, for sure. That's it ties to sports. Right there, man. It, it yeah, sports like you said, like I played basketball, I played college and, like you said, you get those opportunities where you go to those tryouts. It's the same thing. Like, I'm going to go in the gym every day and get up a 1,000 shots each day leading up to that, just like you did acting. Because I read, didn't you live in a cave for like three months before that? Or I did, that, I did everything in the novel that Cormac wrote. So That's I insane. Did, I, I didn't stay in the cave. I didn't sleep in the cave. I, I, I lived off the land. It was, it, was a, it was a wild prep, but it all paid off. Yeah, I mean, definitely. So, that movie was unbelievable. So he did a great job in that. the most challenging part? about you know channeling that character i think what the you know that that guy lester ballard he's a he's a person who was ostracized from society he lost his farm nobody liked him they thought he was a, a social pariah and he was you know ostracized to go live in the woods so back in today i think there's those apps now it's like farmers.com or whatever you can go yeah, meet yeah, other yeah. people yeah, yeah, yeah. who are sure. like you, you. Can network you can yeah. network yeah and the network he did he, he yeah. couldn't network he couldn't find anybody yeah. else who yeah. was alone and ostracized and, and and form his own tribe so his tribe was his own imagination mm. and it sounds really wild but i i could imagine being isolated for that long and then coming across um for the people who haven't seen the movie I play a necrophiliac serial killer. So I, so the first time yeah. I, yeah. so I, I, I come across a, uh, a beautiful woman who's just recently passed. Mm-hmm. It's it for this may sh- shine a light on, <laughs> maybe not the best light on me, but 
it wasn't a hard jump for me to be like, oh, this would be an interesting thing for, for, for my character if it's, if I'd been that alone and isolated where no women yeah. would ever talk to me. So that was just love. It was a matter of approaching yeah. that situation that we all want love. And he just wanted love. And he got it from the only place he could was, which was somebody who wasn't with us anymore. Yeah. And man, why? And, <laughs> and you, you, you can tell, cause you, I'm like for you, you can, you can tell when, when somebody does their homework and they really, you know, immerse themselves in, in a, a different role, you can see it. And that's kind of like what, and, and to make me even, cause like I watch a ton of movies. So for me to even like watch something be like, and just cringe and be like, ah, yeah. like that to, to get that level of like reaction from somebody, this doesn't come just by saying, okay, I'm going to read this and go out here and portray it. No, because you're just going to get the wrong emotions. You're going to send the wrong signals or whatever. So to see something like this, especially with a role that's so hard to play, like the mannerisms and everything that came off was that, – that, that's hard to find in acting. So when you can find that, it's, it's brilliant. I, I, I loved watching it. And, and I know Steven was like, man, this is a, it's a fucking good oh, movie. I, I appreciate y'all watching that. You know, yeah. I, I got a question for you, Terrence. Yeah, yeah. So what was it like, Houston, 2013 – Mm-hmm. And oh man! It, and so you fun. are you keep failing and you keep failing and you <sighs> then you end up champion of the night. Yeah, man. So that people, that dunk, people may not know that that you won the slam dunk in 2013. No, for sure, that was my rookie year, man. And for me, like I wasn't coming into the league, I wasn't like a a big name. I wasn't like one of those high ranking like you know, oh he's the top, you know, this and that of his class, whatever. I I was always like the underdog. I had to work my way to get to where I was. So. For me, that moment being in a dunk contest was – it was different because, like, when I'm on the court, I'm with other people, so I don't feel like I'm out there alone. That was the one time I felt like I'm on the court and I missed that first dunk, and I felt like I was absolutely by myself because it was a dunk I've made so many times, and, like, I was just getting so worked up, and I seen people just kind of making faces, looking around. Right. And so, like, but I felt like my back was against the wall. But at the end of the day – I don't know. It's just, it's just, you got to dig deep, man. And and for me, I just, I was like, you know what? I'm going to keep going out here. If I miss it every single time, that's just what's going to happen. But I just kept trying it, kept trying it. And I got myself together. But once I saw that first one go down, it kind of, you know, gave me that confirmation. You know, I kind of belonged, deserved it. And I got a 50 off the first bat. So I was just like that right there, shifted my whole mindset. And after that, I just started having fun with it. And um, how, how was it, though? Uh, that was your rookie year. Rookie year. I think, I think a few, a few rookies have done it. Um, yeah, but how did you know to go? What was that feeling? But because I mean, you were in high school yeah. recently, so here yeah, you are. Just a few years ago. So for me, you know, growing up, dunk contest is always the greatest, most entertaining, you know, part of the All Star weekend. And for me to be there, like I, I had to actually, I actually had to, like, kind of petition my way in. Like I remember that year, there was All Star captains. East was Dwayne Wade. West was Chris Paul. Um, and so they got to choose the teams of, you know, the guys who were going to do, you know, which, whatever activity. And I remember, you know, telling my agent, I was like, yo, can you reach out to Dwayne and say, hey, you know, I have a guy that wants to be a dunk contest. I think he'll be good. And he was like, ah, oh, you know, we already got our guys, you know, you know, whatever. We haven't picked out whatever, this and that. So, you know, if something changes, we'll let you know. So, you know, fast forward to a month later, you know, maybe a week or maybe, uh, maybe like a, a couple weeks before the dunk contest, we're actually playing Miami and I get a call from my agent that night in the hotel room saying, Hey, I just got off the phone with Dwayne. He said, if you can do some, some dunks for him tonight during the game, you know, he'll think about it. And he might let you in. So I was like, all right, boom. That's all I had to hear. 
doing warm-ups. I'm doing every dunk I can do, trying <laughs> to get the crowd involved. I'm going crazy, whatever. Um, I actually had a pretty solid game that night. I, remember, I think I had like maybe like 16 points. But I think one of the highlights of that whole thing for me that probably got me into the dunk contest was uh, I, had, I think I got a steal. I got a steal from like LeBron. So I get a steal. I kind of get out, you know, I kind of get out on the fast break. And then now it's just me and Dwayne on the fast break, you know. And he's kind of in front of me, kind of sizing me up. And I'm kind of dribbling at him. He's kind of like on the other side of the lane. And I just remember, okay, if he's going to block me, he's going to block me. I know Dwayne Wade's a Hall of Famer. His guy is the most athletic guard I've, I've seen ever, whatever. But anyway, I just kind of just took one hard dribble. I went up, tried to dunk as hard as I could. I ended up jumping really far. I dunked it hard. And I just remember, like, I hope that was enough to get it. We ended up losing that game, of course. But after I got a call from my agent, he was like, yo, good news. Dwayne was really impressed with what you did. He wants to see you out there. He was, he's going to invite you to the uh, – to the all-star so boom you're in after that i think i started coming up with dunks the next day and i remember i had demar Derozan help me out with the dunks and and after that the rest just kind of happened it just took place and did you come up with the rest of those guys the vince carter jersey switch no that was actually uh demar demar Derozan actually did that he was i was trying to come up with uh i was trying to come up with like a couple dunks where i was just like okay i need something that's going to stand out and i remember you know guys always putting the throwback jerseys on so i wanted to do something similar since i played for toronto i was like the best dunker in history plays for our team Mm -hmm. so i was like okay so what can i do i remember demar said something like yo you're really good at you know jumping off two feet and like spinning so here like this is the dunk i used to try that i didn't really get or whatever and he kind of showed me he's like yo you're gonna throw off the backboard and you're just gonna catch it 360 boom that's it and i was just like okay let me see if i can do it i never tried it First try, I got it perfect, and I was just like, damn. I was like, I didn't know I could do that. So I was just like, okay, well, I'm going to ask, you know, one of the uh, equipment managers if I can get an old-school Vince jersey, and uh, hopefully that will be my, like, my final dunk. And it all worked out, man. I, I remember reaching out to Vince, like, yo, I'm thinking about doing this. I was like, he was like, yo, I'm all for it. Go ahead and do it. And then after that, I mean, the rest kind of just took, you know, history, man. Kind of went out there and dope. just kind of shocked myself. Yeah, man. It, it was a great time. That was, that was an amazing win. That, I, what I love about that story is how you missed those dunks and then you ended up yeah. champion. Man, wow. yeah, man, it was, it was tough. And I remember just – and I, I could see Shaq and all those other guys on the sideline and that right there just knowing that they're always clowning on people. <laughs> I was like, just please don't let this happen to me. So I just kept yeah. going kept going. So it worked out. It worked I got to, you know to, – to circle back to – I was thinking about the All-Star game and what, what mm-hmm. a tribute they did for – for Kobe at the all-star game. Um, I did this, there's a, it's funny you watch Child of God. I directed this movie called Mully, which is my favorite thing I've ever- I watched that last night too. You watched Mully? I I was really about to ask you, I was gonna ask you some questions about that too. So keep going, keep going. No, Mully's got a good Kobe story. There was a, the movie was 83 minutes and I'd been editing it for eight months and I was doing plays in New York and I was doing, I think I did three movies during the process of, of Mully. But Molly was my baby. It was my favorite thing that I was, it was my first time directing something. And I knew that that story, and for, for people who haven't seen it, there's a man in, you know, there's a man in Kenya who was an orphan who had to beg for food and he was on the brink of suicide and, and he, he was a Kenyan and he was lost and he was alone, alone in the streets. And through, he, he started praying and he found, he, he, he found God and then he, his life went a different direction and he started to become very successful in wealth and oil in Kenya and became one of the most powerful men in Kenya. 
in, in the oil field. And one day he felt like God said, you need to, you know, I have this different mission for you. And he went off and had, since that moment, he, he went down into the, the slums of Kenya and rescued a six-year-old girl who was a prostitute. Most, most girls are, uh, that are orphaned end up into prostitution, especially in, in the slums right there in Nairobi at a very young age. And he brought, these, he brought three children home one night and his wife said, what are you doing? He said, well, we're gonna take care of these kids now and, and I'm no longer gonna work in business and I'm no longer gonna work for money and I'm gonna start taking care of the poor and needy. Cut to 25 years later, he's rescued 25,000 children and he's got to be one of the most remarkable humans that's ever been here. I, he's, he's Mother Teresa Gandhi, he's, yeah. he's a living person out there making a difference. No, so sure. it, so for me, that's more important than any, any acting that I, I could ever do. Um, so, yeah, yeah. So how did you hear about this story? Cause I'm, I'm watching, I'm like, how have I never heard about this before? I just saw this today. Like is this is a gripping story. And it's, it's like you were saying for him to just him to being abandoned by his family. And then, and then him just waking up one day and just like, okay, where is everybody? And then, going down the line for him just to kind of reunite with his family and see the reaction he had with his father. And then seeing the interview that you had, you know, with the dad and you kind of get your own perspective. I'm thinking like, Oh, maybe these people have, you know, maybe passed away, but to see, you know, his mom and dad kind of see what they were saying about it was kind of, it, it was, it was a lot, man. I can't imagine, you know, for him to, to be there, to end up where he did and then to, to become a, a multimillionaire and, and then create his own family that he's never had. And then for him to, to come all the way back to, he said, well, he just drove hours one day and then just broke down. And then for me, that was, that was yeah. like the gripping part. Everything was so already, you know, compelling and, and, and gripping, but that part right there was, is the one thing that, that kind of yeah. turned everything out. Like, was just like, cause it was, it's a feel good story. It's a really good feel good story, but there's a lot of moments in it where it kind of grips you and it's really, yeah. it's really tough to watch. So but, yeah, I, was I a really was, good story. It's a funny thing how that movie came to be. I was directing a document. It was after Child of God. I needed a, I was fortunate enough to have a break and I, and I was directing this documentary on pretty much one of the first um, African-American wrestlers. He's like the Jackie Robinson of collegiate and Olympic wrestling. Mm. Um, and he was, he overcame so much racial adversity and, and I, we ran out of money and I interviewed this one guy who's a, who's a really wealthy, prominent, um, businessman who's, who's since become one of my other mentors and heroes, John Bardis, based out of Atlanta, he called and said, you know, I said, do you mind, you know, we need some more money to finish this documentary. It's a story that I think the world needs to see. And he says, you know, that movie, he, did, he ended up not financing that film, but he said, would you, would you be interested in going to Africa and, and Kenya and going to tell a story that I for sure know that the world needs to hear. And I said, well, what is it? The next day, the, there's a book called Father to the Fatherless arrived on my door and I read it and I thought it was a fable. I couldn't believe that this man had done this much amazing works and I never heard of him. Same way, Terrence, you had that reaction. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know personally why I was being asked. I just really said, I said, yes, I will 100, I'm in. I, I, I don't know why you're asking me, but I'm very fortunate and, and grateful. And I, I put together a very small team. And, but we worked really hard for many years to put that thing together. And, I, and I'll, I'll circle back to where, mm -hmm. where I started. The movie was 83 minutes. Yeah. 
this will put into perspective of how much Kobe's influenced my life. Mm-hmm. And I, I went to my editor and I said, we have to lose two minutes. He said, why? I said, this is the best story I'll ever tell. And yeah. he's, why do you want to make it 81 minutes? I said, do we have to make it 81 minutes? 81. I didn't, I didn't tell him why 81 yeah, yet. I already know where you're going with it. Yeah. That's yeah. True Kobe fans, man. Yeah, so we, we cut those minutes out and it actually made the movie better and it, the runtime is 81 minutes. And that's the, mo- that's the thing I'm the most proud about because we're really still making a difference on the ground in Kenya and, and people are really learning and the movie's spreading slowly. Um, movies are hard to get out there and if you don't have a huge studio uh, behind you, I'm sure people will definitely yeah. hear about and see the one I'm in right now. Mm-hmm. But a, but a yeah. movie like Molly. <laughs> Yeah, like Molly, you really need word of mouth. You need people like you to yeah, watch. For sure. Yeah. For sure. It's a great hey, movie. I appreciate y'all watching it. No, oh, yeah. Definitely. If you guys, and to the fans out there, if you guys haven't, you know, check this movie out, check it out. It's called Molly. Came out in 2015. Yeah, 2015. Yeah, 2015. Um, great story. So was that your directorial story. debut? Was that, that did, I, did, I read, did I read that right? Yeah, that's pretty yeah. awesome. Talk about a little story. bit. Could you talk about a little bit that, like, just from the acting to director, like, what, where's the differences in, yeah. How, how, how is that? Well, you know, it's, it's funny. I, I, I am a director, but there's, I've been really fortunate to work with some, some of the, uh, the best directors I think working um, from Jason Hall for thank you for your service. Joe Kaczynski, who did um, Only the Brave. And then, you know, Scott Cooper was one of my favorite directors and he directed the movie that uh, Guillermo produced called the Antlers film. And, mm-hmm. um, and Colin Trevorrow on this film are so collaborative, and and I've just been I've been fortunate to work with directors and learn from them and listen to them and and understand that they they live and breathe every one of these movies. So Mully was my version of that. If you're the director of a film, you have to be involved with every department. You have to yeah. oversee everything from costume, makeup, to the to camera department, sure. to sets. To, and then you're the, also the person engaging with the actors and working on, you know, Colin, who actually wrote the screenplay with, with another writer on Jurassic. He, he's involved in every aspect. Yeah. So when you are the director, the different thing about acting is, is it's, you're kind of the GM of, of the whole situation. Mm-hmm. You're, sure. you, are, you have your hands in every element. And, you, and what I've found is the, the directors that seem to be that I've loved the most are the ones that have stayed humble and they stayed kind to the cast and crew. Like on this film, um, it, it couldn't be a better work environment. I've, it's, it's unbelievable, you know, how true it is that the nicer you are to people, those people stick around. Yeah. No, I can't imagine. Um, hey, well, t- well, talking yeah. basketball, I had to circle back because you talked about you played in a high school. What, um, yeah. what, what's your game like? I mean, uh, it, yeah, you're man, big Kobe fan. Well, break your game yeah. down for us. Give us, we're both basketball guys. That's all we've known. Oh, yeah. We need to hear yeah. it. I need to hear it. So my, my, my thing started, there was a summer between 10th and 11th grade when I wasn't as good as I knew I could be. And there was a movie that was out called Basketball Diaries. And, I, and it, was, yeah. it, it was similar to what I was living. I was at, a, I was at this private boarding school in Virginia. And I, I was in the position where I knew I would most likely be one of the stars on varsity going into my 11th grade year. I spent every day that summer just really working on my shot, my, my, which is funny. I, I, 
this guy named Lethal Shooter, who's a good friend of mine. His name's Chris. Oh Matthews. yeah, of course. Yeah, we know yeah. I know. I'm yeah, good. I know that guy. Yeah, for sure. We're, we're, we're developing something together, and he's I love him. He's like he's like family to me, and I, I I see how he shoots now, and he probably would he would kill me what how I shot back <laughs> in the day. But I became even with the the form I had, I was a really good three point shooter, and passing. So mm. I guess Steve Nash would be the closest okay. person. Okay, okay, kind of facilitator. Like. Yeah, for sure. Okay, yeah, I like that. But you yeah, can't leave him open. Steve Nash, you can't leave no, you open, huh? Sure. You're gonna knock it down. Yeah. Every team needs a good Steve Nash, man. You need somebody to run the team for you, man. Um, man. Yes, I got one. I got one more question. Uh, I I watched only the Brave last night, also. And even just looking, I've seen obviously Venom, and I, I, I was looking for Antlers, and I realized that it got postponed, pushed back. But when you're working with all like that that lineup and only the Brave and all, thank you for your service, and obviously now w- with this Jurassic Park, like you're working with all these amazing actors. Like, talk to us a little bit just about does is it's like is it like a basketball team where you you play with better players it almost it makes you better is is that how it works in the same with acting or is it you're so isolated in your own role that that doesn't affect it no i, I everything affects everything the reason why and i may be wrong on this so hopefully i don't get slammed for this but i think that filmmaking at its highest level might be one of the most advanced forms of art because it it includes music it includes choreography it includes that's blocking it includes um, artistic vision. It includes every element of all the different arts kind of put together in one and they all work together. Um, and when you, it, like only the brave and is a film where again, it starts at the top. Josh Brolin led that film. And that was a summer where we all went through a, a very strenuous boot camp to, to understand what it was like to be a hotshot. The hotshots protect our cities. They're on the front lines of, of every element of wildland firefighting, and they are badasses, and that's what they do. They, they handle business. And we were telling that movie, and which is, it is like a team. We all became really close friends. We still have a text thread that's still going, and that movie's been out a few years now. And it's because of the, the, the bonding we had, the camaraderie. And we also knew that we were trying to tell a story with that film that would honor the real guys. I played a guy named Clayton Witted and um, Pat McCarty was, was his best friend and he was our advisor. And I just wanted to make sure I did his best friend right. And everybody had that, that energy and the mentality of going out there and making sure it's not just for entertainment, we're dealing with real people's lives and legacies. So that's when people have more skin in the game when Mm -hmm. you're playing a real guy. And thank you for your service as well. There was a guy, the um, Sergeant Adam Michael Emery, who actually took his own life recently. Um, I knew that I wanted to do him right with that part. And that's funny, Miles and I, that was the year I I caught my Miles when Miles and I became brothers, we spent, we did two boot camps. Thank you for your service. And then a film. And then we did only the brave and did that film based on real life guys. Yeah. Um, so it, it is, like, it is like a team you do have camaraderie. You do. There are, there are moments when you see in, in a scene where you have to really be there for the other person and help them. And that's, that's what a generous caring actor does. He doesn't just think about himself. Those are. No. Yeah. And I know movies like these, they, they have to change you because it's not just like just playing another role. Like I know they have to stick with you because these, this is real life. These are real people and it's real experiences. And I know those things like that, those are, those are things that, that move people and that kind of grab people. So I know 
for to to go through these these uh, boot camps are probably it probably you can't, you're gonna make a bond to somebody that's really tight because there's moments like that that you probably keep with you for a long time though so oh yeah you become really close especially like sure. it, where i'm at right now it's it's such a family environment because we're spending so much time together oh yeah people in the in the in the jurassic um everybody on jurassic we've all just become so close because we're going through this this film together in a very unique circumstances no nah, for sure for sure i understand you on that. that's what we're going through now. This is hopefully nothing like this ever happens again and you only have to live through it once. But um I mean, once you have to go through it once, man, you're gonna you're gonna look back on these memories and it's like and that you, you still, are you still you're still tight with your with your friends on the Raptors, right? Oh, it's so funny, like even last night I'm talking we're cause we in the group that uh thread just like you are for the last few years. We haven't played together in a while, so we still talk together all the time. We're, I'm trying to get these guys to come here and jump on the podcast and you know chop it up about those old times. So I guess ton of similarities. So I, I can I can definitely you know relate to you on that one. Do you do you miss uh, Toronto? Which what do you prefer, Orlando or Toronto? It's different. So when I was in Toronto, I was young, I was super young, um, no family yet, just kind of on my on my own frat boy living. And uh, I mean, I'm thankful for those times because I know if I was to go back now, it, was, it just wouldn't be the same. Just different times. So I think. You know, the time and the, and, and the memories I've had, those, those are always going to stick with me. It's going to be special, something I could probably never get back. But um, Orlando's different. I'm, all, I'm, I'm making whole new memories. I have two kids, family, wife. So it's, it's, a, different, it's a different type of uh, – it's a different type of memories that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm loving even more. So uh, it's two different places. I, I love them both. But uh, yeah, yeah. You know, Toronto's always going to be that special place, you know, that kind of helped me grow up. So Yeah, I, I love the – the tip Toronto International Film Festival. That's, that's oh, the time. So my last three years I went because I, I didn't I started to get like really into like the film festivals towards like the end of my my career in Toronto, but the last three years I, I was going religiously, going to every movie I could see, seeing all the actors, seeing all the directors. It's such a fun time. Like, yo, Steve, we have to go to some film festivals, man. Somewhere. It doesn't yeah, matter I'm where. I'm, I'm God, down. God willing, God willing, we still have them and they're not all virtual. <laughs> well, yeah. Honestly, either way, I'm going. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm okay, going. I'm yeah. going either way. But no, so there's I, nothing no, like I, going to the one in person. It's fun. It's, it's you know, really I got to cool. ask, Terrence, I got to ask uh, some what's what's one or two Kobe stories for me. I, I had oh, to ask. Got you. So my favorite Kobe story was my rookie year. My rookie year is so funny. We were going, we were playing in L.A. Um, I actually, it's so weird. So we're in warmups all the whole season. I have never been a team captain. They never told me to go to the jump ball and meet the other team captain and shake hands and say, hey, is this ball okay? Whatever. For whatever reason, that night, they're like, T-Ross, just go do the jump ball. Go do the, the talk to the captain's thing. So I'm walking up there and I'm waiting. And then I see Kobe start walking up and I'm just like, and for me, like, I grew up in, I grew up in LA. I grew up in LA until I moved to, to Washington and met Steven. So growing up, Kobe was my, my favorite player he was everything he was i was there for all three championships i was family big lifetime fans so when i saw him walking towards me i was just like almost that the first time in my life i was like starstruck i mean like starstruck to the point where like i'm just staring at him walking towards me not like breaking eye contest so he's walking towards me uh he comes to the jumbo he's talking to the refs and he says what's up t ross and for me like nobody knows who i am at this point and he calls me by my nickname. So for me, that was like that, like 
it was like it felt like a, a gut punch like i was like oh my god i can't breathe I, I don't even know if i said anything get back I, I stuck my hand out there i shook his hand and then i was just like whew, just like walk back to the layup line and that was just what i was thinking about for the next few minutes and during that whole game i didn't even get into the game i didn't play that entire game but for me i think i would have preferred it that way because growing up a lifetime like a lifetime kobe fan and then sitting courtside watching like and I'm I'm so fortunate to get into the league when Kobe had like his last two dominant years of him just like he goes in the fourth quarter, you know, mamba mode, like you can't stop him. So for me to sit there and to watch him dominate the game, and we were actually winning the game until about the last four or five minutes of the fourth quarter, and Kobe just took over, hitting ridiculous shot after ridiculous shot. He's hitting, you know, double clutch, three-point fadeaways. He's dunking over. He's dunking around guys to type the game. And I, the the one thing I remember the most was there was a there was a possession where I don't know if this was overtime or in the, was this, in the regulation. Was this the game where it went overtime? Was that the yes. game you're talking? Yes. About? That, that's one of the most iconic games he had. Yeah. Oh, unbelievable! I was so happy. My mom was sitting baseline, courtside, right next to my agent. So like, it, this was like a dream almost. So he was. It was a possession where he he has he didn't even have the ball. But he was in the, he was like uh, a little bit above the break in the corner. I'm sitting at the end of the bench, so I'm like literally at the corner of the baseline. He somebody happens, they set a flare screen for him. They they lock, they pass it to him. He gets the ball. The ball is kind of, the pass is a little you know it's a bad pass. So he stretches for it. He shoots and then he strides out where he does like this little. I don't know. He, he shoots, but he holds his follow through like in this little bent stance that he does, and he just holds it until the shot goes in. And then it goes in, and I just remember him turning around, looking towards, like, over our bench into the crowd, and I was just, like, in awe. Like, just <laughs> like I had seen God or something. It was just, like, this is one of the best moments I've ever had in my life. He made it to go on to win the game, and I was just – for me, I was, like, my team won that night. Even I was a Laker fan again, even though I was playing with the Raptors, but that one moment with Kobe, man, I will never, ever forget, and I'll always tell my kids about it. Uh, something I'll never forget ever. Yeah, yeah. I no, forgot no. you were on the. I th- forgot you were there at that game. That was one of the games that people still talk about today. <sighs> Man, trust me, I was so happy. I didn't get to play, but you know, watching was probably better than playing that night. So yeah, yeah. getting to see my hero doing his thing, you know, right in front of me on the the Staples with my my mom and my agent right there. I was just like, this is. One of my you, best. You, and you guarded him. You went off, and it would, in the future, yeah. you, they stuck on him. So I'll tell yeah, you about I, I just saw that. I just saw that yeah, video. Sorry, I just saw that video again on Instagram. No. That was yeah, it's, so it's, it's I, rough. But anybody I, always tries to give me shit about Kobe. that video. I love that video because it's me guarding my hero. Like I, what, I mean, what? Who else is? I mean, what y'all expect me to do? I'm gonna lock Kobe up. Nobody locks Kobe up. That wasn't a thing. So I remember he was actually somebody else was guarding him, and something happened where he might have got bumped or it was a switch situation or whatever. But I remember Lou Williams had – he was kind of guarding him briefly. But once he realized it was Kobe, he was like, oh, no, I'm, I'm running somewhere else to guard somebody else. So he runs to me and pushes me in front of Kobe. So now I'm in front of Kobe. And I'm just like, okay, this wasn't my matchup to begin with. And now – and it was weird because Kobe is looking at the ref holding the ball because he thought somebody had pushed him. And if you look at him closely, Kobe travels. Like he holds the ball. He – he takes two steps and, and turns towards the ref and looks at him and then turns towards me yep. and then squares me up. And I was just like, oh, shit. Like, 
I had to get, I was like, okay, let me, he wants to go baseline. I know it. So when he jabbed me, I was like, he's going to jab me and get to go baseline. So I bit so hard to cut him off baseline that he just brought it back. And I tried to get back and he, you know, that classic Kobe yeah, thing yeah. where he sticks a leg out. He stuck the leg out. He made it. I tripped over the leg, foul, and one. I just laid there. I just laid there on the ground. I was just like, it could have happened to anybody, but it happened to me that night. So <laughs> one of my favorite moments ever. I mean, I'm, I think about Kobe every day, him and his daughter, and it's uh, 2020 has been a tough, yeah, tough right. year for everybody. But he, hopefully he's in a better place, man. That's all I can I think about some days. So. It's really special you, you had the, those moments there. Oh, yeah. And yeah I know so many guys. That was your hero, and then there you are guarding him. Oh, I've had, I've had that moment. I've had that moment. I, I was Robert Duvall's mm-hmm. right hand man in a movie, and I just remember thinking back. I remember The Apostle, The Godfather, yeah. or one of my favorite films, and here I am with him. I, I, there's many, many times, especially even on this film, because oh, when, I, when I was I a kid, Jurassic, you can, iconic I, franchise. You put that song on, and I start from <sighs> so. That John Williams score. And believe me, I'm just like you every single day where it's just some days I'm just, I wake up and I'm just like, I'm in the NBA. And I look at the little logos on his shirt. I'm just like, this is, doesn't seem real. Like I'm in a bubble with LeBron James, James Harden, Paul, like all these guys. And it's just like, it's just yeah. like for, and, and, that, and, that, and that for me, that's what made it easier coming to the bubble. Cause I'm knowing, I know that, you know, my 10 year old self, if I was to tell myself at 10 years old, Hey, you're going to be in an NBA bubble with the best players in the world and you're going to be playing with them. I would be like ecstatic. Any kid would be like greatest thing ever. So I, I always think about that. I think about that constantly. And I talk to other teammates like, yo, did you ever think you like you would be in this situation? But hey, you got to pinch yourself it, sometimes. Do you find it that the guys in, in, um, in your league that don't take it for granted are the ones that are successful that continue to work just as hard? Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, you, you typically have two type of guys. And so you have the guys that come here who are just wanting to work get better and they want to play the game of ball. And that, and that kind of helps you, you know, and makes you last. And, but then you have the guys who are just like, well, I always knew I was going to make it to the NBA and I want to live this life. And it's just, it's tough. You can get caught up into that. And it's, it's a tricky thing, man, because it's really nobody here telling you what not and what to do. So it's really up to you. And if you don't have, you know, the mental fortitude to go out there and do the right things and have that work ethic and, and uh, make sure you're staying on top of your game, it, it could all it could change really quick. And um, you see it happen so many times and it's, it's sad, but you know, that's, I think that's the thing that kind of keeps me going just yeah. to know that, you know, you're right there. It could, it could happen to anybody anytime. No doubt. So what's the, what's the deal with you coming off, off the screen? The NBA coming off the screen. Is that, since, it it looks like you're looking at the rim yesterday. I'm just going to keep it real. You just came off like five of them. I was like, what? But, 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 so you, I mean, so it, it's for me, I've, I felt like I've found my niche in the NBA for the last few years. I'm, I'm a good catch and shoot guy. And for me, I've learned that I can use my athletic ability to shoot in a way that allows me to, to see the rim and shoot comfortably regardless if there's somebody in my face or not. And I think that it's just something I've been working on 
throughout the years. And Steve, you know, like I've always yeah, been it's, that it's guy. A, it's annoying. It's annoying. Yeah, I, I'm I, in his yeah, face, a, and me and yeah. Terrence are very similar sizes. We're both like six six, and and, and that's what there's we do. nothing yeah, I can so, do. He just jumps, and, and I'm like, all right, there, it's over. So I, found my it, I can't, shit, I can't do anything. It's working for me, man. I know, like you know, hey, they're either gonna foul me or I'm gonna make the shot, or you know, I'm gonna get in rhythm. So it's one to three. You're getting uh, fouled. Right you're getting fouled. I mean, you're second I'm behind James Harden. So on yeah, I'm getting fouled so much. Fouls. It's crazy. Like that like it's you, you just keep. They're jumping, not calling. Gonna... I feel like a lot of them because I'm. I try to let a lot of people, you know, grab me and get comfortable like pushing me so I can get the foul. So, but sometimes it's annoying. It's annoying sometimes. It's like you know, last night it worked out, but some days guys are just. <sighs> One of my boys texted me and said, um, "Terrence might win a six man of the year." I hope so, man. We make this playoff push. Yeah. Um, I need some other teams to fall out, but hey, that's I'm gunning for it, man. I, my, I I definitely I definitely think about that now. I mean, this I guess my role. So shit, why not try to go out there and get that one year? So uh, yeah. hopefully we can make a run now. There it is. Well, yes. hey, I know Terrence got to get going. You have practice, right? And yeah, we really bit. appreciate it, Scott. We really appreciate you oh, popping on this so much, Awesome. No, Love I your movies, you man. Thank you, thank you, and I, you know, I'll, I'll be looking for you, man. I, 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 I pray you win, man. You deserve it, thank and it's you. thank it's, you. You've had such a cool, amazing career, man. So congratulations, you. all. And I'll be rooting for the Magic to get in the playoffs. No, thank you, my man. Thank you. Can't wait for Antlers to come out. Can't wait for Jurassic World Dominion to come out. Yes. I, I know for Antlers, I'm gonna have to take somebody to go see. We might have to like screen that together if it comes out. Or we have to go to the movie, <laughs> but like, cause that movie is. Well, hey, I'll, I'll talk to Andrew, and if there's a premiere, you should come yeah. with me. Oh, for sure, man. I'll be so down for that. I would love that. I would love that. But thank you so much for coming on the show, thank man. You, Can't thank you enough for this. Thank you both, guys. Good talking to you. Yes, yeah, sir. Have a good it. one. See you.